Come on. Strong, the powerful Paul Hickey is here on Lifeblood Create. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Yes, super excited to have you. Paul is a 30-year serial entrepreneur. He's an angel investor and investment banker. He has raised 22 rounds of financing for his own startups. His most recent venture, Pura Vita Medical, makes medical-grade masks. I'm excited to have you on. Paul, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, I... um... I got started uh, in college as a pre-med student. Then I switched to a pre-law student. Then I took a couple years off uh, and worked and uh, got involved with this really high growth company. I was like the 19th employee for a summer job. And then all of a sudden they had 100 employees and then 200 employees within a year and a half. And that got the entrepreneur bug going with me. In fact, there were people that were involved with this company that were Um, distributors for this company and they were doctors and engineers and nurses and teachers people from all different kinds of careers and they all wanted to be entrepreneurs and I kind of thought to myself why am I thinking about going to law school when I'm gonna end up as an entrepreneur anyway so (laughs) I jumped into business school and then uh, worked a couple years out of school and then started my first company and I've been running my own companies ever since for the last 30 years nice beautiful so 30 years, you were going to do pre-med, then pre-law, then you got into this high-growth, early-stage company, and you saw how it all shook out, and you recognized that it was in your blood, and now raised 22 rounds of, fun, of, of funding, and then this most recent one, it, uh, how, how, how did that come to be? Yeah, the company uh, Pura Vita Medical, we make medical masks, so we do surgical masks, KN95s, and we're about to get approved to make N95 masks. Um, and uh, frankly, about, about 16, 17 months ago, I was preparing to um, be the CEO of a $200 million SPAC, a technology SPAC. Hmm. Um, are you familiar with SPACs, George? Or I am. Work? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so uh, you know, my investment banking days, I was an investment banker for over 10 years. I learned all about SPACs and um, got invited to be on a couple management teams. Never did, but... But then the environment just was becoming better and better. And and so in March of 2020, I had a couple different engagement letters from different investment banks that wanted to raise the $200 million for me and my team that I put together for this technology spec. And then COVID broke out. And one of my business partners that I'd done a lot of deals with in the past has a, a great business in China doing sourcing goods in China for American companies. He's been doing it 30 years. He's got 31 employees, two offices over there. He called me up and he said, um, we need to make a mass factory in the U.S. Um, the supply chain's broke. Uh, we're way too dependent as a nation on other countries for essential goods like PPE. We need to be independent. And this is not the last time this is going to happen. So I put a pause on the SPAC and uh, he and I started this factory. He funded it. So I didn't have to raise money for it. We talked about raising money and then he just wrote the check. uh, And we uh, jumped in and uh, leased our factory in July, started getting equipment and started selling stuff in the fall. And that's what got us into it. You know, I mean, we primarily wanted to 
save lives, reshore American jobs, and then help the United States be independent on its essential good needs. Nice. And what's the process like of getting approved to make N95s? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, oh. so um, <laughs> we have been working on it for eight months. Oh, man. It is really brutal. Um, and you have to go through this organization called NIOSH. And um, they got flooded with applications because of the pandemic. Mm. And they weren't, you know, they weren't set up for that. Not their fault. Um, but but it's just been incredibly difficult. You know, we've had to hire different consultants. We had to bring a consultant in-house full time um, for six months. Wow. You know, we submitted the application and then they just rejected and said, nope, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And then we had to go hire another consultant and work on it for another couple months and just resubmit it. And we are keeping our fingers crossed that we're going to get approved here sometime in the next 30 days. Because, frankly, in the mask making industry, the, the real money and margin is in the N95s. The other masks are very thin margins, high volume business, and you're mm -hmm. competing with big, big companies. It's pretty tough. N95 business you can still make money in, assuming you're allowed to even make them, which we're not yet, but we're getting close, we hope. And that is what's going to keep the lights on, um, cross our fingers, you know. Got it. But it's been a journey. It's been unbelievably difficult um, selling the surgical mass and then just getting approved for N95s. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Frustrating, fascinating, all those things. Right. <laughs> so – 30 years of, of, of being a serial entrepreneur and raising all this money and 10 years as an investment banker, uh, the world of entrepreneurship is certainly different from when you started out 30 years ago. Um, what, how do you think about entrepreneurship today? There seems like there's a love of startups and entrepreneurship. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so today um, the people who are going to do really well are the ones who are staying on top of all the new technologies which is not an easy thing, and which is why it's a competitive advantage. So, you know, you look at just kind of going through what's happened over the last, like, four decades. You, you look at PCs when they emerged, the guys that jumped into the PC industry, the software and hardware sides, like the Michael Dells and, you know, uh, obviously the Gates and Jobs and all those guys and a lot of others, um, they did extremely well and had a huge impact. And then the next wave we got was this, um, you know, mobile phone applications and that smartphones and everything you could do with smartphones. And the people that jumped into that have done extremely well. And then you got the social media people that jumped in. And not only the guys that started the social media companies, but all of these young entrepreneurs that jumped in to figure out how to develop an audience and have a voice and figure out how to monetize it, you know? And what's happening now is the next wave is what I see as crypto. And I've actually been involved in the crypto world for, for oh, geez, uh, since 2014, 2015. I did a TEDx talk on Bitcoin, what Bitcoin was when Bitcoin was $270. Wow. And, um, and but, but this crypto stuff, it's it's very complex. There's so much to it. Uh, Bitcoin is just it's just a small drop in the bucket of really what's there from a functional standpoint, what it does. And now you have all these different 
applications emerging and companies emerging like PancakeSwap and, and DeFi, which is decentralized financed applications, which are really just exploding right now into the marketplace because of their applications. But you got to really, you got to jump in. There's no college degree. And I, uh, you know, and like there was no college degree on how do you make money with social media? And the same thing is true with crypto. And there's a lot of young people jumping into this that are coders and nerds and guys that are just interested um, that are jumping in and and they're going to do extremely, they have done extremely well and they're going to continue to do extremely well. So to come back full circle to your question, what do I think about entrepreneurship today versus when I started 30 years ago? It's far, far more dynamic. You got to be willing to learn uh, and pivot and be curious more than ever before. And I think there is a wealth transfer happening here, George, going from the old baby Burmus, and it is quickly shifting down to the young technology people and kids. Um, and I don't think that trend's going to reverse. Uh, I think that we the, the uh, amount of technology we're going to get is accelerating. Uh, what we have to keep up with and learn is going to accelerate. The amount of change is going to accelerate. Um, and the people that don't stay up with that, they're going to be the ones left out. And the people that do are going to do extremely well. And I think it's going to be the young people. So that's the big shift I have seen and I think we'll continue to see. How do you stay on top of all of it? Huh. <laughs> oh, ADD, that helps. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just uh, I'm a curious guy. I like learning. I like listening to podcasts like yours, you know, getting information. And um, I uh, I like having my fingers in different things. And, you know, I, I remember I'll tell you one of the things I have a distinct memory. I had QCOM, which is the company. I eventually took public and did an IPO with, and we we had a prepaid calling technology, but before I started that, I was selling other telecom products. And I, I had this very distinct memory. Um, I think it was like 1995, um, and my, my in-house, I had about 100 employees, and I had one guy who was in charge of my network. Remember, this is before the internet emerged sure. where you network all your computers. So if you had 100 computers in your office, you had to have your own internal network. And so I had a, a network engineer full-time who's in charge of just keeping our computers up and running and communicating with each other. And he walked into my office one day, I think in like 1995, and he said, wow, I just heard about this really unusual company called Yahoo that does internet search and they just did an IPO. <laughs> and I just said, well, that's interesting. And I literally completely ignored the internet for like the next three or four years, <laughs> just kept my head down on my little telecom products that I was selling. And I missed a gigantic wave of, of different opportunities. And I've, I, you know, look back on that, like in the mid 2000s, I'm like, holy smokes, did I have an opportunity to do some things there? even in my telecom space, and I just was too focused. So that lesson I've carried with me to just keep my eyes open, keep on keep on top of trends, and it's not easy, but but luckily I enjoy it. And so it's, it's about just keeping your eyes open, ears open, networking, reading, studying, researching, and um, that's what I do. Yeah, no, I appreciate that very much. If I were 
just putting myself in the shoes of somebody who's listening and they're a young person, they say, you know what, I am, I am interested in, in starting my own thing and having my own business. And I can also, I, I could see it sort of being overwhelming with all these different new technologies coming up all the time. How do you, how do you decide if something is worth pursuing from a business opportunity standpoint? Yeah, that is a really important question. Um, and it's, I don't have a, a straightforward formula. Um, one of the re- things I decide is, do I believe this industry is going to keep growing, um, you know, for the next 10 years or more? And uh, because it is so much easier to make money in an industry that's growing versus one that's kind of stagnant or maybe even declining. And um, so I try and figure out, is this blockchain technology, you know, looking at crypto, is this here to stay? And a lot of people are like, oh, Bitcoin can go to zero. Yeah, actually, it can go to zero. And blockchain and crypto, crypto, crypto opportunities are not going away because there's a lot of real life applications. You know, one of those is like um, decentralized storage that competes with like um, uh, some of the big storage play. What's the big one? You know, I mean, Google does storage. Apple does storage. Mm. everybody does storage, but there's one that I can't think of that I... Like uh, Amazon Web Service? Yeah, Amazon Web Service, but there was one big one that mm. I think Microsoft bought um, uh, years that made it kind of, made it the real big business. Anyway, I'm blocking out on it. it just as a, there's a decentralized, there's companies doing decentralized storage now, which means your little laptop can actually store someone's encrypted information and it gets sent out, you 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 go store with them and they'll send it out to four copies to hundreds of computers all over the world that it's all encrypted. Nobody can actually hack into it. And it's literally unhackable. And unlike the central storage companies that can be hacked, this is scattered around the world on hundreds of different computers, all encrypted. And it's half the price of normal storage. There's Mm -hmm. a blockchain decentralized application that's absolutely brilliant that most people kind of kind of go oh whoa and you know there's literally i go i'll go to a uh you know a blockchain conference and my every time i go to one i walk out of the room just with my head spinning from all the applications that are emerging it's kind of like the internet back in the 1990s when they everybody was saying the internet's going to change the world and a lot of big people were going really are you serious ha how's it going to change everything you know and then it did but it took longer for it to happen than everybody expected. Um, and I think that's what's happening with crypto. So how do you jump into something? I think look for something uh, that's going to be around. It's not just uh, here today and gone tomorrow. And that's the thing about Bitcoin and blockchain technology. Any one cryptocurrency can disappear for various reasons and, and um, not be valuable in the future. That's not the industry, though. The industry is not Bitcoin. The industry is all about all these other applications, and and that's where the opportunities and money are. So, look for growth, and then um, look for an informational advantage. And this is what you had back in the PC industry uh, in the 80s. The young kids that jumped in and learned it had a huge informational advantage over all the big corporations. And then the same thing happened with social media. The people that jumped into that early. Uh, and learned how to use social media had a huge informational advantage and the exact same things happening in uh, the crypto world and blockchain and mining right now George there's you know you can mine Bitcoin 
Um, but there's several other tokens you can mine using different types of computers and algorithms. Some of them you can do on your own laptop. Some of them you can do with really cheap little devices. Um, and I just ordered some devices that cost about $500 each. And they're not really mining. They're, they're, it's a decentralized um, hotspot Internet of Things communication network throughout the world. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I get these. They're back ordered. I'm hoping to get them in the next month. But you set one up in your house and then you can set up some in other people's houses that you know. The, the electricity cost is like a dollar a month. It takes hardly any bandwidth on Wi-Fi because it's just sending little packets of information. And these devices right now, people are making anywhere from $100 a month to $5,000 a month in their tokens. Wow. Setting up these hotspots. Now, who's making money with those? the guys that had the informational advantage that knew about it eight months ago and ordered early and got in on the first batch. And, you know, I'll make money with them eventually when I get them, maybe not as much. Um, but those informational advantages is just staying on top of what's happening. Like in the mining world of, of crypto, there's lots of little new uh, opportunities that emerge that um, young kids, like there's a kid on YouTube that was, um, a, got a, got, in advanced mine, mining chia, it's this proof of space. So you buy hard drives to do the mining. You don't need any computer power, hardly any, just hard drives. And nobody knew what the price of this thing was. And he um, decided, well, I'm gonna do it anyways. I'll spend a couple thousand bucks on a, some hard drives and set up my computer and start doing the algorithm and everything. And he did, and then all of a sudden, they priced this, um, this token and it was $600, and he had been awarded 101 of these tokens for doing some stuff for a month or two. And then the token went up to $1,000. So this kid, just because he's a little nerd and kind of like, oh, I'm going to try this out, he made over $100,000 in a month. Amazing. Uh, now, that's unusual. You know, I'm, I'm not get, making any, you know, nobody's, some people get rich quick with these kind of things. But the point is, informational advantage. Look for that. Uh, look for a growing market and an informational advantage. And it was clear you could get one in the PC industry in the 80s and, and in, this, in the social media industry in the early 2000s. And now it's the same thing in crypto so and blockchain. I love so, it. Yeah. What a cool time to be alive. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, my head's spinning. It's going to keep spinning. I like it. Well, Paul, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? I'm going to take this in a little different direction because I, I think the difference making tip that we've talked about is pretty clear. I get an informational advantage. But the other one I'm going to say is food. Start getting good food in your body. And there, there's research and science now that it's emerging that's showing us a lot of the things we've been teaching people and telling people has actually wrong. And, you know, one of those is like vegetable oils. That's a big one. Mm. You know, they, they've been telling us for decades, vegetable oils are good. Yeah, yeah, but now they're realizing they're actually super toxic for us. And, um, and they are, I, I gave myself prediabetes by upping my bacon and nuts and stuff that have these linoleic acids, which are omega sixes. That's what the vegetable oils are loaded with is omega sixes. And I, I, finally stumbled onto some research that said, hey, we think that it's not sugar that causes prediabetes, but omega-6s. I'm like, holy smokes. So I cut them out of my diet, my prediabetes went away. And then I started doing more research and it's like, wow, it, there's there's a lot of research now showing that these omega-6s cause the hardening of the arteries and atherosclerosis and all kinds of things. And so my tip is 
get rid of vegetables out of your diet. You're gonna, your life is gonna get better. You'll have more energy to be an entrepreneur and be happy and to kick butt at everything you wanna do. That's my big tip for everybody. Well, I think that is great stuff. It definitely gets, come on. Come on. We are what we eat, Paul. So if yes. I'm eating cheeseburgers, I'm gonna turn into a cheeseburger and so on <laughs> and so forth. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Yeah, the best way to find me is um, at Pura Vida. It's uh, the website. If you if you need some American-made masks, because there's a lot of fake masks out in the industry coming from Asia, unfortunately. But if you really need protection, you can order direct from our factory. It's cheaper than you can get most of the masks on Amazon. And that website is puravita.com. It's P-U-R-A. V is in Victor, I, T is in Tom, A, puravita.com. And they can reach out to me at paul at puravita.com if they want to follow up with anything. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Paul your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to puravita.com. That's P-U-R-A-V-I-T-A. Dot com and get your masks there. Shoot Paul an email at paul at puravita.com as well. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together. <laughs>